And now, my co-host and beautiful friend, Zach Lopez. Um, thanks for coming. This is a very nice crowd. Um, this is a piece that uh, I wrote uh, last year because I needed $250. And, um, uh, but I've since been... Um, oh, shit. I wrote it in 2015 when I really needed $250. Um, and, uh, but uh, upon the death of Chris Cornell and then for some reason after uh, the publication of Meet Me in the Bathroom people used it as an excuse to talk about grunge and um, so being the contrary little prick that I am uh, I, I revisited this my, uh, my alternate reality piece of uh, what if grunge never happened and it's um, it's full of so many references and looking around at this audience i i think this this might be the right room for it um but uh yeah okay um this was in hazlitt in 2015 and this is called what if grunge never happened What if, by stray comet, poptimist butterfly wing, or Bruce Pavitt following his bliss and devoting his public radio show to ancient aliens instead of the wipers, grunge never happened. The upsides are obvious and manifold, and not just to the cob nobblers at the New York Times fact-checking department. Jack and Dino sticks to Skinyard, still providing us with those seven inches of pink-throbbing Jesus t-shirts but leaving the tads and coffin breaks of the world to their own devices. Mother Lovebone's Andrew Wood doesn't die. He just gets bigger and better hats. Cobain lives too. Everybody lives. Though the chances of Sub Pop inadvertently enabling the next Hitler were admittedly slim to begin with. But life, like Band of Horses, finds a way. Nirvana stops at Bleach. But somehow we all still make it through junior high. Forced to lust after the cheer squad without the fantasy qualifiers of anarchy patches. Seattle's population of mutton chops and must mains thankfully keeps well in cool, dark storage and serves the nation just as well during the eventual garage rock revival. So why don't we just skip the middle step and contemplate the unthinkable? A world where rock is not pronounced rock with an arched eyebrow where spin has to find another cover subject for the next 20 years. <laughs> and where everybody, without interruption or irony, does the hump. Shorn of its flannel and thumbhold cardigans, how would the wolf survive? If you close your eyes and wash your hair, you can dream it. Skid Row never feeling the need to record Slave to the Grind. Guns N' Roses staying funky enough to make no sense on a Terminator sequel soundtrack. The carrot stick fantasia of Janet Jackson's escapade retaining its place on the spectrum as the heaviest popular music needs to be. The deceit of happiness in pop music remaining implicit rather than being made manifest with all the subtlety of a crossed out crucifix on a teenager's jeans. There are footnotes. 
first footnote. Um, after that, it says, It is, however, unfair to blame grunge for hair metal's descent into real man grotesquerie. As Chuck Eddy has thoroughly documented, it's a myth that Nirvana blew away all that hairspray, leaving faux fierce pathos the only option for the formerly made up and making out glam boys. By 1990, hair farmers from Cinderella to Poison were already blues balling and replacing bubblegum glam with gospel backed schlock. Um, I will always give due consideration to Chuck Eddy. Um, <laughs> the, the ever controversial Chuck Eddy. Um, I love him, I don't care. Moving on, grunge was venerated as a triumph of authenticity over pop, when really it was just the culture at large's regular cyclical response to the ascension of black and or gay music. Even if Nirvana were mostly innocent, they did turn down an opening slot from the aforementioned Skid Row on account of Sebastian Bach's homophobia, they were still members of this society. Imagine, instead, a world where rock dinosaurs and pop pterodactyls could live together in bliss. Not that a 20th century where corporate, rock magazine, corporate magazines still suck t-shirts worn on the cover of Rolling Stone elicits only the appropriate reaction, that is an eye roll, rather than the energy blast of a time-traveling sentinel, is free of complications. Do we wish to erase pre-grunge necessities like the Stooges from our timeline? Kiss? Even Mudhoney, minus context, was a swell enough band. It would be a shame to leave them off the extra-dimensional table. But alternate history requires sacrifice. So for the purposes of this exercise, all three have to go. Iggy Pop can stay, but only heroin-swooning New Wave Iggy. Here, Iggy put the shirt on. Come on. If you undo the top five buttons, it's hardly a shirt. More of a cape, really. There you go. Despite these losses, the joy of grungeless life is palpable, even through the wall of unreality. This world that exists only on the vibrational wave of wah-wah pedals left to rust. After all, no grunge means, and here's where the rising strings come in, No grunge revival. A world without a million bands from Brooklyn, USA to Brooklyn, Australia, aping the stop-start grunting of the early sub-pop catalog is truly a heaven descended. No longer would we have to stare glass-eyed as the newest tieless inanity performs the ubiquitous death dirge howl born of having, two, of born of having to have roommates. No longer would new, real rock saviors foist half-drawn melodies cribbed from Pixie's B-sides upon us. The only predictable, loud, quiet dynamic we would hear would be the sound of our own heartbeats and the grace notes between. In the absence of seven-stringed upstarts like Korn and Limp Bizkit and the sub sub subsequent elevation of their tantrums into pop spheres, men stop dressing like little boys and all baseball caps face forward towards the future. The effect of grunge erasure from history are intercontinental, without Blur and Oasis existing as reactionary forces to its ex eternal downcast glare. Both bands cancel each other out, and Suede ascends to the Britpop throne, yeah. ushering in an age of gender fluidity. That even if it's, if founded on singer Brett Anderson's perhaps disingenuous claims of bisexuality, leads to the wholesale destruction of binary notions of sexuality in rock. The under-eroticized hair in the eyes of Twee 
is replaced with the coy sleekness of Lisa Stansfield coifs. Coifs? Coifs. Thanks. Black-rimmed glasses are tossed to the side, and in our blindness, the makeout sessions are epic. Back home, absent the distractions of groovy manhood peddlers like Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots, their respective fan bases get into goth rock and hip-hop, the two genres most concerned with the ethereal and concrete, and therefore least affected musically by the ostentatious teenage pathos of grunge. Gravediggers becomes the most popular band of the 1990s, touring nonstop with a Michelle Williams-led Destiny's Child, whose thoughtful exploration of fame and sex through the prism of an apocalyptic Christianity makes them apt tormates. Without the easy release of faux rebellious and self-serving nihilistic guitar rock, millions take to the streets at the outset of the first invasion of Iraq. It is, of course does nothing to alter the state's decisions, but it does set the progressive groundwork for an easier electoral victory for the Democrats in 2000. Without Pearl Jam, Ralph Nader literally fades away before a crowd of tens, like an unlucky Martin, Marty McFly. His last words are the sound of a fuzz box going out of the red, like a hurricane downgrading itself to a storm, to a breeze, to just the still air with birds taking flight in the distance. Of course, with Nader wiped from existence, we have no seatbelts. The carnage is breathtaking. The hundreds of thousands of lives saved by Nader's initiatives gone from this world. In this moment, if we knew what might have, been, might have been had Jeremy been given his chance to speak in class today, we might miss you, theoretical Eddie Vedder. As with any alternate history, you must prepare for glitches in the space-time fabric and the results thereof. In this case, it is the unrestrained rise of Grebo, that much maligned, most floppy shorted of UK scenes, that flared briefly in our world like a highly stoppable sex machine but that, without grunge ob grunge's obstruction, could have spanned the distance between CNC Music Factory and Slayer like a bi-frost bridge. Excuse me. Follow this path, an age of chance, England's foremost bike messengers, lead to Papa Lead Itself, which leads to Jesus Jones, a band that made it big with Right Here, Right Now, the EDM version of the Scorpions' Wind of Change. See, grunge wasn't the only pseudo-genre eating hard rock soup. And hey, by this point, America already had the Beastie Boys and Warlock Pinchers. It could have happened. A wonderful age of Mike Patton style, long on top, shaved on the sides, hair, and white people who absolutely worshipped public enemy. No longer one would, have had, one would one have had to choose between Janet Jackson and guitars, because they would have existed in one blissful club. Danceteria all day, every day. If I'm describing Electroclash, fine, but imagine Electroclash happening in 1990. God, our shoes would be amazing by now. <laughs> we probably all have sword canes. Worst case scenario, every band out of College Town, USA sounds like snaps the power. The Spanish Civil War was fought for less utopian ideals. With time being layered and all historical events happening simultaneously, a universe is possible where, because Kurt and Courtney never marry, Tori Amos and Trent Reznor's relationship is afforded the respect it deserves. <laughs> thus ushering in a thousand years of true love and keyboards, keyboards, keyboards. Big Audio Dynamite and Nina Cherry are bigger influences than Sonic Youth. Thus ensuring I don't spend every waking moment enshrouded by a cultural boredom that cracks my bones. Of course there is still war and strife, disease and turmoil. 
a replacements reunion, and Father John Misty. I've shaken enough monkey's paws to know that wishing can't eliminate the machinations of an inherently corrupt universe. But picture a 2015 without turgid guitars and nostalgia for nostalgia. We're hoisting Kurt Cobain's unfamous grandchildren into the air, wearing overalls covered in a day-glow graffiti. That drum and bass version of that Anita Baker song is playing on a solar-powered boombox in the other room. And we and our anthropomorphic hoverboard slash body pillow are deeply, truly in love. The sun is shining in the air. Thank you, three-term and counting president for life, Al Gore. Tastes like Seattle, mist, and honey. guys, I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Cassell. And we're here from The, the Bitch, Bitch Seat, the podcast. It's an interview show where we talk to guests about the horrible and beautiful parts of their youth. We like to think of it as an adult talk show and tell. A grown-up show and tell. There you go. Like that. So for a teaser, here's some magnetic poetry that I wrote on my fridge when I was 12. Hit it, Phil. Dreams of whispered music felt snow white and lathered me in delirious symphonies. The ache within is black and bitter. A thousand frantic shadows scream and chant bitterly. I sleep on a lake of a thousand diamonds. You were 12? Yeah, I was way ahead of my time. Fair enough. Tune in. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!